Welcome to Pick Up Your Sticks, where we talk about why gaming matters, with your hosts, Brett Lindley and Walker Neer. I'm Brett, and today we talk about cooperating and surviving in multiplayer, both on the couch and online. We also discuss some thoughts on tower defenses, RTSs, and music and games. Hey, Walker, how's it going? What's got you uh, picking up your sticks this week? Hey, what's up, man? Um, a few different things, actually. Um, uh, of course. Big surprise. I know, I know. I, <laughs> I know. I can't help it. I can't help it. I might have, I've probably said this before, but if there is a way that I could go tell, like, any age between, like, six-year-old me all the way up probably to, like, 18-year-old me and be like, dude, just so you know eventually like the video game rental store, you just have access to all of that anytime you want. Like literally just the any whole game. thing. Right. And more. Just, right. And you, and, and there will still be sales that you're tempted by even after that. So I know that you haven't gone into your games yet, but it yeah, yeah. does bring something up that you've said before that I've had a thought about recently. Okay. You've talked about, we both have about like, gee, maybe we were just born in the wrong decade. Right. Like, how amazing it'd be to be a kid right now with mm-hmm. that and all of this. There's actually a piece of that, that, that like, I wonder how much choice anxiety kids have. Like, cause I mean, us just growing up had access to so much music. Right. So like, I listen to some of my dad's music, some of my mom's music, what's popular at school, what's on the radio. There's just a ton of it. Right. But now not only is there even that much more good music, but then, like with movies and games sure you have access to all of it but like we can't watch everything that's on netflix already but like to be a kid and like yeah but you got to play the classics you got to play super mario you know but there's also call of duty and all of these there's so much out there that like it might actually cause like i would probably have anxiety like when i was young there's a very limited number of games that i could get yeah. And so like you're just happy with what you got. And now there's so much that's like I don't know, maybe does that cause like Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think though that the other side of that coin though, beyond just the volume of games available is that when I was a kid, I mean, I was my parents bought maybe one to two video games per year and otherwise right. I'm renting and I of course, you know, had no way to pay for them on my own. Um so I think that also factors into it, though, is like as a kid, like if we were kids now, we would have a lot of choice, but it would be almost exclusively freemium games. That's still I mean, like that's still a lot of choice. And it my is. three dollar allowance can go a lot further in a steam sale as like a seven year old with a clean my bedroom allowance, you know, oh. like. And I would totally <laughs> blow that on microtransactions. Like, True. it would be a terrible... <laughs> <I'm>, <laughs> Not yeah. learn the value of a dollar at all. <laughs> right. Anyway, so that yeah, no, aside, I just no, no. had that thought, and I was like, no. there might be a flip to this. Like, I think that's an interesting point. I think that... Um, I mean, and uh, you know, I don't know. It, it, it's interesting when you compare it to movies and music, because, you know, like everyone else, I, of course, enjoy movies and music. I would say music more so. Yeah. Um, and there was a period before streaming music was available where I listened to very select things and had, you know, a CD collection. And then yeah. even when maybe iPod... a friend burned a disc for you of something you haven't heard of. Right. And and then iPods came out and then I started getting a bunch of music from friends to put on my iPod. 
but it still was a, a, a curated thing, you know? Right. Um, and then now though, when I listen to music, like I just pick stations and just, yeah, I just have shows. Google picks it for me. Yeah. Like exactly. throw, I find one artist. I'm now I do like, I have been listening to whole albums like when it when us when like especially in Google Play Music, I'll throw something on random or radio, and if I hear a song that I like, I'll go to that artist and listen to the whole album it's from. Yeah, and then add that to the library or not. Start a new radio from it, and down the rabbit hole we go. I've had limited success with that because of so much of what I listen to is electronic, and so many electronic albums are literally like one track EPs. That's just that's true. Four remixes of the same song. Yeah. Um. But anyway, but so I don't. And with with. You know, with movies, like, I just actually, like, to your point, what made me think of this is when you were like, well, if you were a kid now, or even 10 years ago or something, people would be like, well, you got to go play SNES Mario. Like, that's a classic. You got to go play Super Metroid or whatever. But, like, I I didn't watch the Star Wars movies when I was a kid. I've I've seen them all now. Well, I haven't seen the two newest ones in the theater, but but whatever. The old ones I've seen. I've never seen an Indiana Jones movie. I've never seen the Goonies. And these are all like movies that people our age, which are. No, it's fine. I, I don't, I've never seen like Psycho or Pet Cemetery Same. or like. I have seen that. Um, but yeah, anyway, I guess, I guess just all of that to say that like, I think that there's, um, I don't it's know. Still probably like, a pretty good time to be a kid. <laughs> yeah. Well, and honestly, the reason I want to be a kid too. I mean, how cool, how crazy is it if your first console is like a 360? Or even even now, or, or a Vive, right? Like right. if you're like ten now, and your dad gets a Vive, or your mom, or your oh, whatever, <laughs> like <laughs> your first your first experience with video games is Beat Saber. Like... If I had a kid, I would make them play a Virtual Boy first. So <laughs> you know what I mean? You have to know where we came from. Yeah, I have to damage your retinas before you're allowed to see this. Like... Correct. 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 Kind of like you're going to have to walk around a bit before we put you in this car. You know what I mean? <laughs> you're going to have to understand how we got to where we are. Um, but anyway, but yeah, like that would be cool. Also, though, I just kind of want to get jacked into the Matrix. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that just continues to that can gets kicked further and further down the road with each passing year. Yep. Um, but I mean, I guess if I can be 70 and get jacked into the Matrix, then it doesn't matter. Then your avatar work. is 20. Right. Right. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so yeah. sorry for that huge digression. I just that came in, so oh, that's good. Um, but yeah, so so a game that I played um, that was kind of I got it through a humble bundle. I know again, hashtag mind blown. <laughs> um, it was in December's monthly bundle, and it's called Xmorph Defense, um, and it's a tower defense game. So you and I have both are pretty big tower defense fans. I think you probably are. I don't want to say more into them, but I think you've just I've got played more of them. I right. think, right. I think that you're, I don't mean to, to, to paint it in a negative at all. I think that you are a, a more refined tower defense. I'm fan. A con- that That's my wine. Um, yes. Yeah. Correct. Correct. Um, maybe you are to a tower defense as I am to MMO. Maybe. That's probably true. Yeah. yeah. I mean, MMO is probably more of a life suck on the whole because <laughs> they take hundreds of hours constantly. But but yeah, anyway, um, I would and I don't think you've played this and I, I don't know if you I haven't. I looked at it and it looked kind of interesting. Uh, yeah. I saw you playing it, but that was also at the tail end of my transition from like Minecraft into space yeah. engineers and other stuff. So I was kind of preoccupied. 
Well, so the reason that I think that you would be interested in it is is because it's not just a tower defense game. It actually combines two genres that you're a big fan of. And that is, it's a tower defense game, and it's also a top-down shooter Yeah, at the same time. Um, and so, yeah, the way it works is you control this plane, and you you can fly around, and you have, like, like a regular gun, you have, like, a laser gun, you have bombs, and then you have, like, air-to-air missiles. So you fly around and fight stuff as the, as the plane. But at any point, you can, I think it's just, like, the shift key, but you just press a button and it flips your plane invisible so that you no longer have collision detection. So you can't wreck into things. You're invulnerable and invisible. So nothing is tracking you. Nothing is hurting you. So it kind of makes it interesting because you can get into really hairy situations in the top down shooter part of it. And, and you can kind of always just get out of jail free as right. long as you press the button, you know? Um, but the, that invisible mode also doubles as the mode where you can collect resources from fallen enemies. Okay. And then you can build more towers. Nice. Um, so before the map starts or the round or whatever you want to call it, you do get to place towers like you would normally in a tower defense game. But then as you go through the waves, you continue to accumulate resources in real time. Okay. So then you can kind of beef up the defenses or upgrade towers or completely move them, sell them. That was another mechanic that I liked really well is you can sell towers and you get a full refund. That's great. So there's no, there's no risk in trying things and being experimental because if it doesn't work, it doesn't matter. You just kill it and put a new one. Even the upgrades and everything. If you've upgraded it two or three times, you get all of it back. All of it. (laughs) That's beautiful. That's something that, yeah. It's it's interesting because also the way, so it shows you the paths that the enemies are going to come in from. And it shows you if they're like the general type that they'll be, if air units, ground units, heavy, you know, kind of whatever. So what it also allows you to do is even though it shows you at the beginning of the round where all the units are going to come from, they don't all appear at once, of course. Right. So what happens is like maybe that starts out with the air attack. So you go put a bunch of anti-aircraft guns up by where that's going to come in. But once those airplanes are gone, there's no more coming from that path. So now you can go sell all those guns and then beef up your ground. That's awesome. That's the only time, like a multi-prong level is usually a lot more difficult because you have to place towers where paths overlap and you have to be more selective and stuff. Right. Or like you can sell like higher strategy in like uh, balloons, like TD5 and 6. A lot of the high strategy is about upgrading a tower to a certain point, using its ability, selling it, and then using, you don't get the full money back, but using right. that money to buy something else immediately or whatever. Right. So it, it, I would still say that balloons um, probably is more satisfying on the whole as a, as a tower defense game. A, it's a pure tower defense game. And B, the variety of towers that you get from balloons is just, insane right um but you do get a pretty healthy variety with in x morph as well um so the premise of x morph also excited me so the premise of x morph is that you are an a in invading alien species who is invading earth and what you're doing is you're you're basically landing these giant spaceships that they call cores of course because tower defense right um but so you land that, and then once you beat around, then the alien faction 
lands another ship somewhere else in the world. And so what they're doing is establishing a network of these ships that once it's complete, then they'll be able to extract all the resources from Earth or something. <laughs> nice. So the tower defense is the, the armies of Earth trying to, to destroy That's you. Awesome. Because you're just alien. I invasion. always, any game where I can play the bad guy. Yeah. Especially the alien. Like, yeah. Yes. And it's cool because you're so superior to them. Like, you have such better stuff than they do. Right. So it feels like you're the powerful alien. Um, and, I mean, you know, the, the the production of the voice acting and stuff is not like, you know, it's not a Fallout game or something. But right. it's there, and and there there is some voice acting, and there's, like, this one general that you're – that's constantly trying to, to stop you or whatever from the humans – and it is kind of funny to watch him grow more and more frustrated and demoralized <laughs> as time goes on. Um, but yeah, so super cool as far as premise with it being kind of a blend of those two genres. I really like it as far as like the tower selling mechanics. I also like that it has a... Um, it, so in, in Bloons, for example, the paths are entirely scripted and you can't change the path of the balloons at all. Right. Um, in this, it's kind of a blend. So you and I have talked before, like I'm not really a fan of tower defense where it's literally just an open map and you have to place all the turrets to right. make a map. Uh, it gets really tedious, I think. And everybody just makes the back and forth maze. That's all and you that's can the do. optimal. That's the most optimal path. So, right. Exactly. Just like a movie theater line. Like <laughs> there's a reason that it works. Um, but but so what Xmorph does is almost kind of a blend. So there are predetermined paths that the AI will go on in the form of roads and, and that sort of stuff. However, there are destructible terrain that you can that you can blow up. So you can like blow a big skyscraper over and it'll fall in the road and now it changes their path. Or if you put two turrets within a close enough range of each other, you can activate them so a little fence goes between them. So you can create... Uh, make a wall. Right. So it's kind of cool because it allows you to to kind of delve into the strategy of like, oh, well, I wonder if I can make them take longer to go this way. But at the same time, doesn't fully just put it on you to build the maze. Right. You know? um, so I thought that that was, I thought that that was a, a cool blend of mechanics as well. And then also the game just looks absolutely gorgeous. I mean, it's yeah, just... I did see some screenshots and stuff of it. I think I watched a video of it too. It looks like I do want to play this game. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's visually, I would say the best tower, best looking tower defense game I've ever seen. Um, the explosions are super cool. Um, the just the way the, sh the ships and the tanks and everything is all animated very well. So it's, um, yeah, it's a it's a very pretty game. Um, so <laughs> I played it and I, I got to the very last level. I did all of the missions, uh, which like, I don't know, probably a third or, or more of them are optional. Did yeah. all of those. Didn't actually realize they were optional, but still did them all. <laughs> hey, why not? Um, and, and then get to the last level. And then I came to a problem that I have had in many games, not, not just this one. And that is that the last level is unnecessarily um, complicated and frankly to me doesn't feel fun. Um, now I, ha I have lost at the level, so maybe I'm a sore loser, I guess. <laughs> 
but I lost in other levels in the game too. And then, and then would go back and replay it and was fine with that. Right. And I've replayed the last level a few times trying to make sure that I wasn't just being a baby about it. And yeah, I mean, what the last level does is it presents some super enemy that you can't change its path very much. And it's marching towards your core. And there's also waves of, of regular enemies. And so basically there's, and this is true of every level, there's like three rounds per map. Okay. So you'll play through a round, come to a stopping point, and then it allows you to redo towers and then new round of multiple waves starts. Right. Um, so the way it works in, in this version of the map is the big super monster, whatever, it's a robot, but whatever, gets activated and then starts marching towards you. You have to do a third of its health and damage or something. And then it stops and that ends the round. And then you do that again and it ends the round again. And then you do it again and you're supposed to kill it before it gets to your base. Right. If it gets to your base, it one shots your base. So it cannot get to your base. Right. And, and so, yeah, I just, I, I wasn't able to, to solve that puzzle and while the rest of the game, like I was just talking about, feels like it invites experimentation, feels like it allows you to take to take some gambles and risks and doesn't completely punish you for them. So, you know, regardless of how um, on rails the solutions might actually be, as the gamer, you feel like you're coming up with creative solutions and solving problems, right? right? And that's fun. And it's helped by the, 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 the top-down shooter aspect because... Maybe you have weak turrets in a place, but I'm going to go take my ship over there and just gun Shoot down them. the enemies. Yeah. Right. So I'll help support the weak weak turret position or whatever. So it just feels like there's all this flexibility and, and innovation, if you will, that the, the player is You allowed. have a lot of options, so yeah. it can't be that scripted. Right. And then when I got to the last level, and again, I've, I've tried it several times, it it feels like there's one way to do it. And that I have to figure out what that way is. Almost like it's turned from a strategy feeling game into like a puzzle game. Right. Yeah, that's that's a definitely a killer to a lot of RTS games. And I mean, there are checkpoints like that in like balloons, right? Like and they're set. Like there's always gonna be a camo, like your first camo balloon by like round right. seven or fourteen or whatever, and your first right. lead balloon whatever and so you have to have certain defenses in place for those but they're they're always set so except in like the special modes or the super hard modes but even those have their own set pattern it's just faster right but it's not like a it's it's more of a gear check not a puzzle like correct because you don't die to the first one until like until ddt's around at like 95 or 96 can kill you if you're not ready for them but by that time, you already have a good idea of the game, and you also know the next time you get to that level, you have to be prepared for that. So right, and like in balloons, I mean, you know, j- let's just look at lead balloons for example. Well, you could buy a glue gunner that can melt them with his acid. Mm-hmm. You could buy a dart monkey that upgrades to the catapult that can break the lead balloons. Yep. You could rocket launcher. I mean, any kind of fire. Right. Yeah, there's of... spikes that you could just put at the end that have the red hot spikes. And right. You, you could get a sniper that can mm-hmm. pop them. Like, there's just a wide variety of options. So, yes, there are, uh, you know, kind of checkpoints, as you put it. But, 
but there's still a ton of flexibility. In right, and it's not a puzzle like player. there's only one solution. It's it's more of a gear check. Is have you been upgrading your guys, or have you only been buying level one dudes the whole time? Right. Now the other side of this coin is that. I might not be very good at top-down shooter, and I might not be very good at tower defense. So maybe the last level for other people is nothing, and it's silly that I would, you know, have found it this challenging. It's still obviously a rampant difficulty if you've made it all the way to the end of the game, and then it's it's something is different. There's some obvious change that right, right, and this is something that's happened to me though many, many, many times. Um, where I will get to literally the last level of a game and I, I'm just, uh, something will happen like this where I, I will find a mechanic frustrating and it, it's silly because I mean, ultimately I'm the one who's not finishing the game, I guess, but it almost feels like, like the, the developer, which I know they haven't literally done this, but it's almost like they're taunting me. And it's like, out of spite, I'm not going to finish your game now. Like, <laughs> like I'm like you don't get to bully me and how I use my time. And again, yeah. I know that's absurd because none of them know who I am, and and certainly no one making games is making it well specifically to frustrate. You. Well, right. or to frustrate people. I mean, there are games like Quop or uh, Surgeon Simulator, which the premise is to be frustrating, but that's right. that's known, right? Yeah. So I get it that they didn't, they weren't like, all right, last level, let's make everyone upset. But yeah, I don't know. It just, it, it, it gets me. And I guess sometimes it's not just that. Like I got to the end of Final Fantasy X and didn't know that I was at the very last boss. So I get to a boss fight. I fight it. That turns into another boss fight. I fight it. That turns into another boss fight. I don't know. There's either three or four. And I got right. to the very last one. And then... I I actually wasn't high enough level. Like I'd barely gotten through the other bosses. Right. But you get no rest in between. And I wasn't powerful enough to get through the last one. And it was like, but then when I realized where I was in the game, once I got died to that last boss, it's like, so I can go run around and grind in the world to get more levels and gear or whatever, so that I can come back and do this more easily but I know that that's the end of the road and right. final fantasy 10 isn't new and YouTube exists. Yeah. So it's like, am I going to spend another like two hours grinding so that I can unlock a cinematic that I, I mean, can see right now in, in the past, that was me as I would say, yes. And even in kind of the X morph, my first thought is like, Oh, well just go look up a how to guide or something, you know? Right. Uh, but I also get that that's kind of defeating the purpose and barely any different if it's any different at all from just plain out cheating. But like, like you said, I mean, that's where I got with like primal. I mean, we talked about that where I just was like, no, I'm not going to grind for this. Like, right. and I can see, I guess I get that a little bit more in like a JRPG where it's just like, you've already played that whole section of the game. You're not going to fight any new monsters. You're just right. going to grind. Like, I think that's a little bit different from, like like this situation where it's more like a puzzle right like in final fantasy you knew the answer the answer was gear check and mm -hmm. just go get overpowered get 10 levels which is another 15 20 hours of gameplay or whatever right. and yeah that's boring um <clears throat> but with this it's definitely one of those like 
it is a question like am i doing something wrong am i playing the game wrong like have i been i can't have been you can't have been playing it wrong this whole time because you got there yeah or if i did then wow what bad design but i don't right. think that's the case and yeah i mean honestly that's kind of where i landed was you know to be to be completely fair <laughs> my comment about them me thinking they're spiting me or something it actually that actually isn't my deciding factor my deciding factor is I've tried it again. I don't know what the count is five times now, something. And I, it, it just wasn't fun. Like right. I wasn't fun to keep trying. And it's like, why, why would I spend <laughs> my, my free time continuing to participate in something that I don't think is fun just for the arbitrary purpose of being able to say I beat the last level. So I therefore have completed the game. No, I think because that's a really mature way to think about it. I think it's probably better than, the way I think of a lot of things. Now that there are differences where like, I will also cheat. Like, I don't care about cheating usually for lore. Like Mm -hmm. we talked, I cheated. I didn't even finish XCOM two with cheating, but that was just because of how difficult it was to cheat in that game. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So that wasn't very rewarding. Um, But I have cheated through at least the original Starcraft and Brood War, I cheated my way through the story in those after a certain point because I just didn't know how to play strategy games at that time. Right. Um, now with uh, Starcraft 2, uh, I haven't beaten them all on like hard mode with all of the glory tokens or whatever, the, the achievements, right. but I have beaten at least the first uh, and second campaigns with without cheating through them. So right. multiple times, but I refuse to go play Legacy of the Void. Because so. you don't want to buy it. That and it just, I already know how the story ends. Like I watched a playthrough of all the levels. It was like a four hour playthrough of right. everything, but the caster was terrible. And the story just is bad. In my in my opinion, StarCraft jumps the shark and gets bad. Yeah, I think, well, I think that, I mean, and we talked about it a lot in our StarCraft episode, right. but I think that it, it just, it shifted from this, and I mean, all Blizzard IPs did. Diablo, Warcraft, Starcraft, all, all three of them did this where they went from really dark, Great. like serious tones to it's not fair to say that they're Disney, but like playful if Disney got sprinkled in with it. Yeah. Uh, and just well, and just like, I don't know, like I, I really loved in Heart of the Swarm, not to go on a huge Starcraft tangent, but I love in Heart of the Swarm that Kerrigan goes back to just being yeah. a swarm queen because yeah. I was like, Oh man, we're really going to deal with her being just depressed a ghost time. Yeah. Like this is so well, bad. I'm like there is an interesting internal conflict that you could explore. And that is the cliche way to do it. Right. Is explore the interesting, Oh, I used to be bad and I used to be good. I don't know who I am. And you're like, no, I'm just the queen. I have to be the queen. That's my purpose. And like, that's not something that's explored very often, which is, I thought pretty cool. Yeah, agreed, agreed. Um, but yeah, all in all, I would say Xmorph, uh, if you like tower defense games and or top-down shooters, is definitely worth a look, despite my complaints about the last level, despite <laughs> maybe me well, just... And, being... and I would cheat, again, even I would cheat through like the StarCraft and stuff because I wanted the end cutscenes. Mm-hmm. Not even because I wanted to say I beat the game, but I just wanted that, the visual movie thing. Right, Or the right. lore or whatever was there. The first time I ever remember doing it was there was a game for PlayStation 2 called Summoner. Um, There was just an action RPG party kind of game. And in that, I got to the very last level. And it wasn't actually the 
the mechanics of it that drove me away. And I don't remember now what the story even was, but I couldn't believe where they took the story. Like I was like, really, this is how you're wrapping this up. I'm not playing the end of this out of spite. Like that was definitely a spite move. Right. Um, Cause it wasn't that it was too hard. I just was floored. That's me throwing Orson Scott cards, children of the mind against the wall after like the 15th page, because the story takes such a turn. I'm like, this is not who Ender is. I will never <laughs> read this book. And I, I never have, I've never finished it. The nice. first three, four books are amazing. That book will not read. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. Used to out of principle. Um, but anyway, yeah. So, that, so was, that was a while back that you were playing that, though. That was December. So, is it still more WoW time, or have you? Um, it is. I've still been doing WoW Classic and Retail. I've been splitting my time there a bit. WoW Retail just came out with their last patch for the current expansion. And they released two new allied races, which are a little fox person for the horde and a little mechanome for the alliance, which is like a little. That seems opposite. It seems like the fox person should be alliance, and the mecha thing should be a, a like goblin and be horde. Right. I kind of was surprised too, just because of how cute the fox is. Right. Um, it's not but, like a horde thing. But I think that to some extent, though, there's been. Um, I don't know. A push isn't the right word. There's been a prevailing sentiment for a long time that the, none of the horde characters are that pretty, except for blood elves. Mm. So maybe it's a, a way for them Appeal to try to and, that. Yeah, throw Something a little that's like visually hey. attractive, right? But honestly, the mecha gnome is super cool because it's like a it's kind of like a like a little cyborg gnome, except instead of robot parts, it's like steampunk. Yeah. Robot. So like little gears for their shoulders and stuff. Nice. Um, so I would like to unlock those, but you have to unlock people, them. Yeah. A lot of people don't like the mechanic, but I actually think it's kind of interesting. So starting in the previous expansion, they started releasing these quote unquote allied races and to unlock any of them, you have to do a pretty significant faction grind and, and quest chains and all sorts of stuff in the end game of Warcraft to unlock the races. Now, if you once you unlock the race, you can create a character with it, and it starts at level twenty. Or you can always pay money to race change an already existing character to the new race that you've unlocked. Um, I don't know. I, I've heard mixed things on it. Some people don't like it um, because they think that, like, some people think that Blizzard is intentionally trying to set people up to pay for the race change. I don't think like that because I've never paid for those kind of services. So it's not even something I consider. Um, and I kind of like that you have to unlock it because it, it makes them a little more rare, right? It's not like the day one thing comes out and everybody is one of those two things. Exactly. Because if, yeah, exactly. If it wasn't, if it wasn't how it is now, yeah, the server would just become overrun with those. And if you didn't have to unlock it to do the paid race change, then you would also just see a ton of people paying to race change. And right. every time a new race came out, how many people are going to jump on the bandwagon to, to get this? And that kind of undermines the world, I think, a bit too. So I actually think it's cool that there's a grind to unlock it because it actually makes it kind of a, almost like an achievement yeah, sort of that's fair. thing. Um, and I, I, I don't know. I Again, I, I like it. Some people don't. But either way, so I'm hoping... <laughs> to uh to unlock uh some of the allied races at some point in retail um 
but yeah, then this most recent weekend, I actually had a couple of friends over and we played a little couch co-op and did uh, Overcooked 2 and Lovers in a Dangerous Space Time. Nice. Yeah, so Overcooked 2, for anyone that hasn't played Overcooked, uh, the first and second one. The first one's amazing. Uh, we, The yeah. wife and I got all the way to the last level. And then that also was kind of, it, it was unnecessarily difficult compared to all of the other levels mm-hmm. prior to it. The boss just, it made you do everything, which is fine, because a few levels leading up to it had more of everything in it. And the last level just has everything. But then also with just like fireballs raining down on you. And it was unnecessarily difficult to do. Right, right. Yeah, the the last level of Overcooked 2 wasn't too bad. I mean, we got through it. Um, but so Overcooked, I think, is designed for four players. Yeah. We had three, and I think that made it a little better. So I think Overcooked with two people is a little bit different because the wife and I, uh, we like three-starred a lot of the levels just because we had a really solid plan in place. Right. Like we never got in each other's ways. We figured out the level. You do this. I do that. We And we had a, an awesome dynamic set up where I think sometimes maybe with like three or four people, it is set up kind of like a party game. It's fun. You know, there's some weird mechanics, but like I think you can get in each other's way more and it could be harder to get good roles established. Right. Yeah, no, that's fair. Um, I Yeah. I mean, more people does add, you know. <laughs> Literally too many cooks in the kitchen. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, we didn't explain. Yeah, overcooked. Yeah, so it's it's basically a four player up to four player co op game where you're given recipes um, that are between one and I think three ingredients maybe. And so, like, l- let's say the most simple recipe is like sushi, so or just raw fish, or yeah, cooked. Yeah, I think it is just cut up fish. But anyway, so you go get a raw fish. You have to take it over to the cooking board. So you have to go retrieve it from wherever you get the fish from, take the fish over to a cutting board, cut the fish up, and then put it on a plate and then sell it out of the, the to-go window or whatever. Um, and all of this in kind of a cutesy top-down sort of thing. Yeah, very whimsical and, and cute, very much like a an Animal Crossing yeah. kind of vibe as far as graphics and, and just presentation in general. Uh, like in the second one... <laughs> the game starts and you go visit like the onion King Mm -hmm. or whatever. And he is trying to do necromancy. And so he's, he's like rise, rise from the graves and then bread starts to rise. (laughs) And so then the whole, the whole basic premise of the game is that you're trying to to stop the invasion of the unbread. Oh, wow. Yeah. Not only rise, but they lean into the, they do lean into the puns pretty hard. They do. They do. Um, but it, it's fine. It, it, it's very, like I said, very cute and fun, but anyway, and, and so then eventually you get up to something that maybe takes three ingredients where you have to like cook a pasta, cut up a steak, cook the steak, combine the pasta and the steak, and then sell that. And if things cook too long, they burst into flames and you have to get a fire extinguisher. That meal is ruined and you're your score and tips are based off of how fast you get the meal out. And if it was made right. Correct, correct. And you get negative points if you make a meal wrong right. uh, or negative money or whatever, which is basically points. But but yeah, and then in each level, there's between one and three star rating, depending on the score that you got. Um, we didn't get three score stars on every level. I mean, we did, I would say, on the majority of them, yeah. but not on not on all. Um, well, we and there's also a lot of like, at least in the original, like 
not only is there the complexity of the emails goes up, so you want like it, you just need to keep cutting or just keep making noodles, constantly make noodles, make all of the noodles because we're going to need them for every dish. But on top of that, each level, at least in the original, usually had some kind of mechanic where like the level would reconfigure itself or things would move around or one level had rats that would steal ingredients from you if you left them out like so but you could like you could boost and if you boosted into a rat it would drop whatever it was so you could like take the stuff back and Uh, i see (laughs) excuse me yeah and the second one it has a lot of that as well um shifting levels there's one that takes place on a on the on a sidewalk of a busy street, and you have to like run across the street constantly to oh, get nice. stuff. There's traffic, so then you get hit by cars and all sorts of. There's one in the first one that's two food trucks on a highway, and you have to jump back and forth between the two trucks because half the kitchen is on each one. But they like pass each other, and then there's just road, and you fall into the street and die. And yeah, yeah. So yeah, not only are the recipes challenging, but you're also challenged by the coordination of the team members. You're also challenged by the level design. Um, super, super fun. I don't game. want to do dishes. You do dishes. Right. Somebody's yeah. got to do dishes. We need plates. <laughs> Someone will have to do dishes. Um, but yeah, really enjoyable game. Uh, and and really just a, I mean, I don't, I'm sure there are plenty, but it is one of the best couch co-op experiences I've had. Um I think because it's all cooperative. So while there can be frustration because you're like, why did you not wash the plate? We told you to right. wash the plate. As long as you're willing to not be that kind of jerk and just understand that everyone is trying, which we all did when I was playing, um, you're all working together. Well, and it's, where- it's also hilarious to lose because it's usually like the level earthquaked and split in half and all of our burgers were on the other side and they all burst into flames and we just can't win now. Right. Like, right. Um, but yeah, it's uh, like, I would say prior to that, probably the most fun I'd ever had with couch co-op would probably be like Mario party mm-hmm. and Mario party is a great time, but Mario party can lead to hurt feelings. There's usually one good, like somebody that's good at mini games will just win. So that is my friend Pig, who you're familiar with, <laughs> and he is better at the mini games than everyone. However, Mario Party includes a lot of star stealing mechanics, mm. which I'm pretty sure he still holds against me. To <laughs> I was going to say you're pretty good at the shifty, underhanded stuff. Correct, correct. <laughs> um, I have no shame, so <laughs> um, or remorse, and and yeah, he still will bring that up, and I'm like every time I'm like, dude. It wasn't personal. You had the most stars. So when I get a star steal, it's competitive for me to take it from the person with the most. If you had this, if you were one above me and there was another guy with four more and I stole from you, fine. That's a little, <laughs> but that's not what happened. Right. Don't be good at the mini games, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> be like me. Is it, or if you're good at the mini games, you can still get kind of ruined by the chance mechanic of just rolling yeah. those dice. And yeah. Mario games have a tendency of trying to equalize the playing field. A la blue and red shell in yeah, Mario. Games. Blue shells, the lightning bolt, you always had a higher chance of getting if you were in last place or yeah. whatever. Yeah. Which though, I mean, and I guess it just depends on how, you know, how a person takes competition or whatever word you want to use. Cause I think that's kind of almost too strong of a word for Mario party, but um, I don't actually care who wins. Like, I think it's fun to compete and try, but if I don't win, 
right <laughs> whatever right um well and there's not like there's don't have that. competitive smash is no items because of those mechanics right right so right there's probably not competitive uh, mario party <laughs> i would assume that's true yeah um but yeah so overcooked and, and overcooked 2 both of them are super fun games and there's actually and I, I actually would like to do this with you and your wife sometime is um steam has a, a feature called remote play where you can play local co-op games over a remote connection yep that's a pretty new feature uh, so it is, and so I'd like to try that with you guys on Overcooked sometime. I think it would be, I think it could be a lot of fun. The only problem is that it does require quite a bit of communicating and coordinating yeah. on the fly. Uh, so it, it it could be challenging unless you both had headsets on and or were playing me talking over a speaker. Right. Um, and if I had a second person here, which would be ideal, so we could have four, then that gets even. I think it. Crazy. Honestly, I feel like it's like I would we could play a board game over video phone, but the in personness, especially because the ridiculousness, it's the it's the chaos, and right. getting that in person and being able to talk about it after a level and walk around the room together or whatever, I think it's it's a lot more like the shared experiences that we were talking about, you know, in our, our previous episode where it's it's just that community aspect of being in the same room i think that would be i would much rather do a dinner night and say hey let's all get together at one of our houses and order pizza or make dinner and then play overcooked and then there's that dynamic of like oh we were in the kitchen and now we're literally you know and i think that sure. there would be more to it i think that there are games that would work well uh with the steam play but some couch co-op games i feel like like i would play nidhog with you over like a you know a discord call and and steam link but i think that like a a cooperative silly fun game i think is just more fun together i think it probably also yeah i think it depends also just on the level of coordination because like if we were going to play like there's a game called river city underground that's basically like a streets of rage or a double dragon i think that type of game over the steam remote play thing also could be good because there's not a lot of coordination or like a castle crash. Right. Like you're just running yeah. around fighting. Everybody, you know? it's it's random anyway, so. Yeah, it's just melee. It doesn't matter. You don't need to say, hey, you have to come stand here kind of thing. Um, but anyway, so then the other game we played was Lovers in a Dangerous Space Time. It is basically you control a big spherical spaceship that has four guns, top, bottom, left, and right. It has a separate station for a force field that can rotate around the whole ship. It has a separate station for driving the ship. Um, and then it has like a separate station for like a super weapon. And so it's up to four player co-op as well. We played with three and um, yeah, you're basically just trying to navigate through levels and rescue these little critters. And as you go through, there's, you know, constantly new threats and so people are having to like change stations is kind of the idea. So kind of like uh, it's kind of an obscure game, but like space team. Yeah. Kind of that idea, except yeah, except it's, you know, you're actually seeing characters in the ship doing stuff. For anybody that wants a fun uh, five minute experience, you could play with a bunch of coworkers on break to cause chaos, get space team on mobile. It's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Can't say enough good about space team. It's really cool. Um, 
but anyway, yeah. So it's kind of like a you know like a starship simulator thing where the way we ended up doing it was like I primarily was, was like the captain driving. Um, one of the other people was primarily just controlling the force field and always like blocking because not only can they block shots, but they can also block terrain. So oh, like nice. if I'm driving and almost hit a wall, they can just throw the force field down and we'll just bounce off. It's that kind of wall. like a multiplayer 3d ish FTL sort of thing in some aspects. Yeah, it's still 2d oh, yeah, just okay. like FTL. So, uh, but yeah, yeah, that's a really good example, actually. Kind of like if FTL was multiplayer. Nice. Um, now nothing comes and boards your ship or anything right, like that. Right. But but yeah, uh, and then and then the other person in our group was just kind of rotating around to the different gun turrets because like the gun on the bottom rotates 180 degrees, so it can shoot left or right or down, but past a certain point it can't go any higher. Right. Right. Then you might have to switch to one of the side guns. Um, but yeah, super cool. You find all sorts of upgrades, so you can upgrade your weapons with like three different types. Eventually, you can mix and match the upgrades. So like. For example, there's a beam upgrade. So if you put that on a weapon, it makes it like a laser beam kind of gun. Well, then there's also a the normal turret is like a shoots like two little dots, like a like you would see in a, a top down shooter, right. Like a push, right? So just two little dot bullets come out of the gun as fast as you can fire it. Well, if you upgrade it with a power weapon, then it upgrades that to shoot three little dots. But then you can combine the beam and the power weapon, and now that generates some totally new result. Like two lasers or something. Exactly, nice. exactly. And you can also take those same things, like you can put the beam on your spaceship, and now the ship, whenever you, if you hold the accelerator for long enough, it'll actually charge a beam, and then you can let go, and it fires the beam. That's cool. So it kind of weaponizes the engine. Um, so yeah, I don't know, just a really, just really cool ideas and and similar to overcooked just a really fun kind of cooperative couch you know sit together and figure things out again probably a game that honestly works better locally than it would over the remote link simply because there is a lot of coordination that needs to take place um i mean eventually we got it to a, a point where i guess we weren't talking that much level to level but we also had three people if we had one extra i think there would be more because you could optimize more right. shifting you know um but anyway yeah so i mean i've talked for nearly an hour now. <laughs> hey i that was that was the other week we we just switched spots i mean it, i think that's fun i think that's awesome that you've i've been kind of more of the same lately so i'm i'm interested yeah. in hearing your thoughts but um yeah. so yeah that's it though yeah so i, I got the xmorph i'm obviously still doing the wows uh <laughs> the wows i have to now call them. <laughs> Like their How brother ridiculous. and sister or a family, right. the family right. of wows. Yep. Um, and then, and then, yeah, those couch co-op games and uh, yeah, they were a blast. What have you, what have you been picking up your sticks for lately? So I have been on the multiplayer trek as well. Um, I finally joined the multiplayer uh, server and it started um, and I got mm. my approval for space engineers. So that has been a lot of learning and a lot of, Things that I'm not used to and not – some of them not totally comfortable with. Some of them just not used to. Some of them, the game can just work completely differently. So, like, it on top of it being a multiplayer server, it's also a custom map, custom scenario, custom items and stuff in it. There's a couple of mods. No new item mods, I don't think, but they, like, have regulated certain items and restricted things. It's kind of a hardcore map. It's actually really difficult to start surviving 
Um, which made it even more frustrating when after about 12, I put like 12 hours. So Friday afternoon is when it launched uh, local time for us. And I put in all like, like 10 hours in the first day. I stayed up late. I drank coffee at like 10 PM, like stayed up till midnight playing and got a really good foothold, regardless of the amount of difficulty it was to get established. Um, and then the server crashed. And it had crashed a couple of times prior to that, but it always kind of came back up in five minutes. They just restarted it and whatever, right? Well, uh, it crashed. It was 1230 and it didn't come right back up. And so I stayed mm -hmm. up for like half an hour, it, but I'm not a, I can't be a night owl anymore. And, but like by 1 a.m., I try and force myself to watch YouTube vids and stay off. The server's still down. So I was just like, I'm going to bed. Well, right. I had also lost my respawn point just before the server crashed. Um, and so my base had a shield for offline shielding. I just couldn't respawn at it. And mm. I was in the process of looking for the items that needed to replace that. And I was about to find them, but nope. Respawned on the other side of the planet the next morning. Spent like two hours trying to drive back, flipping is rovers only. So I was trying to flip over, and, and it was just a nightmare. It's like all these mountains and an ice planet, so you're slipping all over the place, and it was just a nightmare. Spent like two or three hours, took a break, uh, finally gave up. Got my well, had to give up because I got my rover like stuck in this giant ditch. I couldn't flip it. It was in a, a, a chasm. And so I spent the next like four hours salvaging my rover and taking it over like i had to walk a kilometer across this ice lake there was this awesome series of mountains in the distance like behind this ice lake so it was really pretty i was like i could build a bunker right at the base of this and it'll look amazing this is great i can do this this is fine i'll start over well i didn't understand how the base shield worked i thought just any static defense base that you put down when you logged off you would respawn there I also didn't understand that, like, in the first day of the server being up, if you exited the game and came back in, your ro your starting vehicle would not be deleted, and you would just spawn next to it. After that, your the sparse starting vehicle would get deleted if you hadn't, like, taken control of it and made it into a base, or there's a couple things that you can do to make it not be registered as your starting vehicle anymore. Um, I didn't know this. I left literally for f like 15 minutes to go get a sandwich for lunch. Come back, log back in, jump back into the voice chat. And somebody's like, oh man, I just found this amazing base at the bottom of a lake. Everything's here. It's all ready to be set up. Like they, it looks like we just need a few minutes before power is going to come on. And I, I also didn't know I'm like right near one of the poles and there's no atmosphere, so I can't use wind turbines. It's only solar or hydrogen power, but I, I had a hydrogen engine attached. I just needed five seconds of power for my, my hydrogen generator to make hydrogen for the engine so then I could start the loop, right? I needed like a second of power. So I needed like if the sun can come over for like five minutes, I'll be okay. And then I can survive. Wasn't happening. Didn't know it wasn't going to happen. And... This dude is talking in voice chat about how he just found my base and how he's raiding it. He's like, oh, I'm tearing everything down. And I'm like, there should be a shield. I'm not logged in. 
And I'm like, what? This is the I've been talking in chat about this base. What are you? Come on, you know, like one of the rules is like, don't grief a person that's just starting out. And right. but I didn't have a shield, so it I did. You know, it's so he doesn't think he's grief. He doesn't. He thinks I'm there, and he could get shot any moment. You know, or maybe that like you started this and then abandoned. Right. It, right? He thinks you like, and that. I I would be the same, but. I, in the moment, it was like 12 hours of gameplay in <laughs> and like five, four hours of sleep, which is about half of my normal. Um, and so I kind of snapped on voice chat because <laughs> it was 12 hours of gameplay. And I've already gotten to this point twice. Okay. And it was so difficult mm-hmm. for me to get there. And then when I when I opened up the game, I don't spawn back at my new base. I spawn in another rover again a third time. And now I'm. In, like, some triangulated point that is equidistant from both bases, the same amount of distance that I was the last time that I spawned from, and I'm just, like, raging. I'm Mm -hmm. so mad. I've paid for this Mm -hmm. private server. I was getting, I was meeting people in the voice chat, having fun, like, talking to Australians and stuff, and and then this, you know? And so, like, Mm -hmm. he's like, chill, guy, chill. I'll just just join my faction and you can spawn at my rover. I didn't know this was a thing. You can spawn at any spawn point of a faction that you're in. I'm like, oh, okay, this makes sense. Like, cool. Well, I'm going to go finish my sandwich because I actually just went to start. I didn't actually eat lunch. I started lunch and then came back. And that was just in the voice chat when I heard all of this. And so I'm like, I'm going to go eat my sandwich. I'll be back in 10 minutes. Spawn at the rover. I get my base back. You get to leave. And... I can continue playing happily, right? And I know how base mechanics work, so I'll delete my old base and get a shield here. Cool. Ten minutes. Come back. Half a sandwich in my mouth. This dude's like, so, bad news. I definitely just blew up my rover, and you can't spawn here anymore. And I'm like, I'm just, maybe I'm done. I'm, I feel done. Right. I was like, oh, I will try to spawn in one more time. Spawn in, and I'm like five kilometers out. Look, I might be able to do this. Finally drive the rover back, get within a kilometer before I flip it. I could flip it back over, but I'm like, nope, I'm just going to grind it down, take everything, and go start the base up. Play through, getting to start, getting and get to where it took me two days to get back to where I was in the first day. Mostly because of the new thing that I learned, which is that the simulation speed is based on like how many people and how much active destruction of terrain and stuff is going on. So the game kind of like Eve will slow down so that everybody's playing at the same speed. It's just slower. Well, the sim speed got down to like 0.4 of nor. So like 40% of normal. So let me ask you something. So when you say simulation speed, because I know in that game, there's like, if you want to craft something or even weld something, there's like a timer that it takes to accomplish Yeah, it takes that. time to do the thing. Right. So is that all that affects simulation speed or is it Everything. just like walk- walking? Walking, okay. running, just like easy, jumping. Because dilation does. Right. Well, and then there's also like, it's not perfect. So there's also rubber banding where you like run mm-hmm. forward and then snap back. Well, you're running at half speed. So... And I don't have a jetpack because that's the hardcore part of the server. So I have to jump a lot of places. Well, you get used to being able to jump a certain distance and height and timing a jump. When that changes to 40% speed and then jumps to 60 because people log off and then 
dumps to 38 because people like it's mm. constantly kind of adjusting and I'm just getting less done. I was like, I feel like is the game running slow? Cause I feel like I've gotten less done today. I, I got this far in like six hours the first night and right. it's, I've played all day and haven't gotten anywhere. And they're like, Oh yeah. Sim speed slow. Cause people are, you know, getting and doing whatever. I'm like, Okay, that's another. So I'm like kind of getting this like constant level of disappointment, but I'm also building some really cool stuff. It's really right. challenging. It's difficult. I love the challenge and I'm still excited cuz I'm still fairly early and I'm keeping up with some of the factions. Now that's not going to last forever cuz they have a bunch of people and I'm one. Right. But I feel like I'm keeping up. I feel like I'm even footing. Now I'm kind of not there and I'm really torn because I think what I should do is what I was kind of trying to prep how to do. I just didn't know how to do it, which is I should go build a bunch of things in creative mode at different levels of tech, basically, and bring those into the server and have mm. a plan for how I'm going to advance. Cause I'm having to like make on the fly decisions of what I'm building, how to build it, how it's going to work. And I just didn't understand how a lot of the concepts of the game worked in multiplayer with like item limits and stuff. So I, I'm just learning a lot of things, but I also really enjoy the community and I want to participate. And I, I don't know if I'm going to get very far in this month's iteration, but I have an idea and I am still excited about like, I have a cool story that I'm getting to play out. Again, kind of this D&D &D thing. I've been really addicted to this whole Command and Conquer nod business. So I'm like playing the role of an engineer at the end of the CNC storyline where, you know, Earth is falling to the alien invasion. They're sending somebody through a wormhole, like experimental time to another planet to try to start up whatever. So I'm mm -hmm. playing the role of that engineer, but all of my quote unquote blueprints were corrupted when I got sent through, so I have to work with basic tools. But I'm still trying to make things in the in, for the glory of Nod and whatever. And there's other people right. here and whatever. So I've got my own story, and there's a server story. Right. So I'm kind of trying to blend my lore with the server lore and and other players and whatever. So just kind of having fun with that. I've been sharing a ton of pictures of my progress on Twitter, uh, which isn't a whole lot, but it's something. And I am excited because I do want to make some things. I don't know if I'll be able to make them in the month that I have to play with the challenges that I have, especially if it's still at like 40% game speed. Right. But I, I still like it though. And it's, it's weird because I'm, I'm torn between being frustrated by just kind of the server speed and loving the experience of multiple. Like, Cause I did make some friends and the guy that whose base that my very first base I started at the bottom of a mountain and he started, he climbed to the top from the other side. We figured we were close to each other just because the sun came up at the same time at both of our bases. So we like, we have to be in a line of each other. Um, and I was like, I think I'm at the base of the mountain you're at. He's like, I have no resources. I'm like, I have every resource. I'm my first base. I was set because I just had everything, including uranium, which is really rare all at my feet and i'm just like i have everything i'm i'm golden he's like i have nothing i'm like we should hook up because we're about the same age we had similar likes we're having fun on discord i'm like we should hook up maybe joint maybe not same faction but make an alliance and what and we'll go up against the big factions and and eventually 
you know, everything happens. He comes on the, that night, the next day, and he's like, well, it sucks that your base got deleted and all this bad stuff happened, but I got my first, you know, plane done, so let me come see what you've got. He flies over to my base. He's showing off his build, his new plane that he made. He, I'm showing off my base and the stuff that I've got. He's really impressed with my stuff. I'm impressed with his. There's this, like, I don't get that in... I definitely, it's not like I got that in Minecraft. I wasn't even sharing. Right. <laughs> I had a whole story that I wasn't sharing with anyone. I still liked it, but I didn't have that shared experience. And now I do, yeah. which is fun. And people are still like, they still like my builds. Like they're still interested and want to see what I'm doing. And there's a, there's just a healthy command and conquer community in the space engineers community, which I love. And so I'm just, I'm torn because I, I love and hate this server experience. And I don't know if it's just something that I'm like, I should make more stuff in creative and bring it in and spend the majority of my time in creative off the server. So that can increase the speed that I can do stuff on the server. But I have a hard time with that because of just my history in faithfulness in survival games like Terraria and Minecraft. I won't cheat in a block. I won't bring in a blueprint. Like I have to make it there, you know? Your XCOM or StarCraft to cheat. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. They're not survival games. So. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. But uh, yeah, so I don't know. I, so I'm, I'm kind of torn. I'm, a, I'm in a weird spot right now. I'm going to keep playing because I, I like it. Yeah. But I, and I've been discovering a lot of, as we talked earlier about my music discovery, I've had great luck in discovering music recently. I've discovered like half a dozen bands and love all of the music that I'm finding right now. So nice. yeah. And you can listen to that while you mm -hmm. play. I just jam out really hard. I mean, honestly, that's one of my favorite. That's, I think that's one of the things that attracts me so much to MMOs is that, you know, if you're playing, a lot of single play and it's not just MMOs. I mean, Minecraft, Space Engineers, Terraria, really long open-ended games can offer this, but something like Grand Theft Auto, for example, even, which is also an open sandbox kind of experience. The audio in Grand Theft Auto is, is really good. Right. Right. Like whether it be the radio stations or just the sounds of the world or, you know, the gameplay. So if I'm playing GTA, I'm not going to put on Google music and just listen to right. whatever. Cause I want to hear GTA. Mm -hmm. But when I'm playing WoW, for example, I don't really need to hear the sound. You know, I mean, maybe if I was raiding or something where it's real specific, but... Well, and even in something like Terraria, the music is great until you put a thousand hours into it. It's still good, right. and I still right. like hearing it. But I want to hear the Terraria music when I'm working in an Excel document at work. Like, because right. then I can do that. But I would like to hear... And I'll leave, like, game sounds up but I'll turn music slider to zero and put on my own and I'll try to theme my music. Like I may listen to Celtic and Enya and whatever, if I'm just building my base, but if I'm doing boss rushes, then let's put on, you know, disturbed or some drum and bass or something, you know, and have fight music. Like, right. Yeah. I think that like, I definitely notice if I get on a kick of just playing single player games that I, feel like I'm falling behind on both music listening and podcast. Listening oh yeah. Because like Joe Rogan is three hours mm -hmm. a show real easy to get through if I'm playing. Wow. Yeah. Right. Like <laughs> no problem. Uh, but if I'm not to just dedicate three hours solo to listen to Joe Rogan, like probably. Yeah. Not. That's a lot of, 
that's a lot to do, especially just to sit and listen or like take notes. Like I always feel bad because there's some episodes I want to take notes on, but it's hard to do because I'm always like, let's do dishes and laundry or mow the lawn or whatever. But right, yeah, so right. and of course I wanted to if I'm going to theme my music and I'm playing Nod, what better than to take a Nod playlist and plug it into YouTube and just find the Nod soundtrack for all the Command & Conquer games. Like, if I play playing the Hell March while building a black and red base with an LCD panel that has the Nod logo on it and says Kane lives next to it, I felt like I was playing a first-person Command & Conquer game. Like, I felt, which I think they did, like, Renegade, but better better graphics better everything i felt like i was oh, in the yeah. command and conquer universe so this playlist plays through and then one of the songs that because it, it's randomly auto-generated playlist is like a song i haven't heard before but like the logo looks like command and conquer and i'm not paying that much attention i'm like i don't recognize this song and i look and it's because it's new music done for a command and conquer mod right i'm like Oh, this is awesome. I have 30 more tracks of Command & Conquer inspired music that I've never heard. I'm like, so this makes it feel even more like a new Command & Conquer right. game. So I right. plug that in, jam to it, am loving it. The last two tracks are like remixed and they sound they're from the earlier tracks but sound different and sound even more like the original Command and Conquer. Like these guys did an amazing job. I look over and it says remixed by Frank Klepecki, who is the original musician behind the Command and Conquer games. And I was like, so Command and Conquer mod developers got the original artist to remix their music for their Command and Conquer mod. And that's just something that's, like, kind of unheard of, right? Like, you, you're not going to go get the original composer for Blizzard to remix the music that you made for a, a, a StarCraft-inspired game or something, right? Like, it's just not going to happen. And Frank Klopecki remixed these songs. So I was like, this is the most iconic thing that I could possibly see I immediately went to Twitter to see if he was on there. He was. I posted to him. He liked my post. That's enough fame for me. I feel amazing. Right. And then I found out that they have a, a band called uh, Frank Klopecki and the Tiberium Sons. Should play on <laughs> a play on their, you know, Tiberium Sun. But and they played the, the Command and Conquer music live at shows. And he has probably the coolest looking electric guitar I've ever seen. But. <laughs> Anyway, huge yeah. digression for – I've been on a weird Command & Conquer kick in Space Engineers, but has also led me to, like, I've started watching Command & Conquer 3 Pro matches. Wow, I didn't know that was a yeah, thing. Yeah, and learning – Modern or old ones? Uh, like, within a couple of years, like 2018. Okay. But they're still playing Command & Conquer wow. 3, which is not the latest game. Right. Because as which we shall not speak yeah, of. Yeah, we shall not speak of because as discussed before the podcast, if you search RTS in Steam and filter by user reviews, you have to go to the very last page at the very bottom to find the latest game. I believe it's one thousand thirty two games with the RTS tag <laughs> and it is the lowest rated. The absolute out of all. lowest. It's amazing. I am oh. so happy that it is there because that's where it belongs. But anyway, yeah. So it's kind of it's strange because there's not the same tools for casters of C Command and Conquer as there are in StarCraft. Like, so the caster doesn't know 
when an upgrade completes or what the name of it is because it can't like hover and get tool tips and get information and be able to say like this person looks like they have an economical advantage because they have two bases but they you can't pull up the income tab or the production tab you just have wow. to rank. and so there are like battle markers on the map kind of like when a pickup of units happens in starcraft like when a medevac picks a bunch of units it like tags the screen or pings it there's that on the mini map for the caster but it can also get triggered by selling a building and and the caster's just in my opinion the caster that i am watching is not as good granted winter is a high bar but they will like a big battle is about to happen a battle marker will happen on the opposite side of the screen They'll go there, they're like, huh, nothing's here. I don't know. Maybe a building got sold. Uh, it looks like maybe they maybe they were trying to get a harvester in this. I'm like, go back to the battle. Go back to the battle. Move down. There's a giant battle. And then he'll come back and be like, oh, it looks like a bunch of dudes died here. I have no idea who won. Like, oh. But yeah. on, there are also some good casting, at least pieces. And the games are, it's just a very different game. And it's kind of cool to watch a very different type of RTS play out. Yeah. Um, the only kind of thing I've seen with that that would be kind of a different RTS would be uh, Company of Heroes 2. Um, whenever we were playing Foxhole, oh, there was a guy who actually played for the other faction, but mm -hmm. he was really knowledgeable. His, his username is Helping Hans. Oh, okay. And he's also a professional... Um, company of heroes two player oh nice company of heroes two is an rts it's made by the same people that make the dawn of war warhammer series mm -hmm. relic is the name of that studio um but it there's less emphasis on base building and just like in dawn of war and much more emphasis just on strategic control yeah tactical stuff you're taking cover and you know managing those kinds of things there's suppression fire mechanics that do not exist in Starcraft. Right. It made me think, though, it's interesting. It's something that I've come to, uh, I don't know, somewhat often. When you're talking about the ca the quality of the casting not being as good, you know, to some extent, everyone's an individual. It's somewhat subjective. Um, but beyond that, like, you know, not everyone is going to be as good as everyone else at casting, right? Yeah. I mean, there's going to be individuality to it. But the other thing that's true is, are, is the top, talent of casting casting command and conquer games right the answer to that is no because yeah. <laughs> it's not the most well, you know, i i really do think that the tools available to the casters just change it a lot like right i mean again we hit we hit on winter a lot but it's like he says like i'm a pro caster because i'm reading the production tab now which is kind of true. Like in pro-casted games, that's just what's going on. If if no battle is happening, discuss yeah. potential tactics and what's in the production tab. That's where where Winter is good, I think, and his knowledge comes through is because I could look at the production tab and tell you, oh, this player's making four banshees and this guy's making five hydralisks, but I don't actually know what that battle plays out like. If right. You throw those at each other, and Winter does, so he can speak to what you just said. He can say building this that indicates that they're going this direction it could play out this way right and the caster like the caster that i'm watching isn't terrible um mm -hmm. 
like there are some things that I didn't realize that like, oh, he's attacking the back armor of the super unit or this guy is positioning some guys in this way and taking a good engagement or they could have dropped a tower here to defend this. Why didn't they? Maybe they have something else planned. Oh, here's five stealth tanks. That's why. Like, and, and so they're, they're, it's not bad casting. Um, it's just going to that after watching StarCraft. is, And the gameplay is just different. It's right. The maps are a lot smaller, and engagements happen within the first 30 seconds. Like, you scout with attack units, and and resources regenerate. Not instantly, but, like, you take your natural pretty quickly, and then you'd go for a third. That's usually where the war happens, or maybe it happens at your natural or whatever. But then there's a push and pull, and if you lose your whole natural, that's okay because it's mined out. But mm. but by the time your third is mining out, you might think about retaking your natural because it could have fresh – be freshly mined uh. and like ready to be mined again because it all regenerated. So the game actually goes on longer and it's more of a tug-and-war like, or tug-and-war because you look like you're down. This guy's dead and they can set up another base and get it defended before the attacker gets there. And then to retake their old base later. So it, there's more of this back and forth that happens. And while some of that, I think, is just because our like pro RTS gaming in general, there was a lot of that in even kind of the the original StarCraft and and the speed of gameplay in RTSs amped up a lot with StarCraft too. And that just doesn't exist for an older game. It would have to be completely remade. But it was still interesting to kind of watch. Yeah, yeah, no, that is that is um, that is cool. It, it's it's interesting to see, and I've talked about this a lot before, but you know, comparing esports to traditional physical sports, um, I, I think that one of the biggest barriers for esports is that the, the you know games like League of Legends, Dota, probably Overwatch. I mean, it's newer, but still. Starcraft, obviously, like those games have now lasted. I mean, League of Legends is like a decade old at this right. point. And they've lasted a long time now. And I think those are the best opportunity to bring esports even more into the mainstream. Because right now, esports is popular, but it's not popular among non gamers. Right. And sports is watched by people who have never played. Foot- the Super Bowl is the most watched event in America most of those people never put pads on and tackled someone. It's also, there's also a little bit of a lead time from like 1920s football to 2020 football, you know, like if League of Legends stays exactly how it is with minor changes and a graphical update with, you know, better helmets um, for a hundred years, then it'll probably be just as popular. (laughs) That's what, and that's, that's exactly my point is that because there's such a history and because it's so static, it it gives people the opportunity to be able to understand it more easily. Whereas if you've watched a bunch of Starcraft and then you go watch Command and Conquer 3, even though they're in the same genre, they're totally different games. Yeah, it, Whereas it, like there's not an alternative version of basketball. It's like calling <laughs> European football is football and American football is football. If I said I was just watched a different game of football that's how different StarCraft yeah. and Command and Conquer are. It's soccer versus 
freedom football or whatever. Right. Yeah. American. Yeah. Um, but so, but so it's, it's cool because unlike it's something that I think is kind of unique to gaming is that you can find these kind of niche or, or, you know, odd or weird isn't really the right word, but yeah, just niche games that like, who's playing this professional. I mean, you can see it in speed runs, right? Like if you watch all yeah. these games and quick, who learned how to speed run the Barbie model game? <laughs> right, right. Someone did. Really obscure games. Yes, yes. And not that Command & Conquer 3 is obscure. No, no it's a game. smaller community like of people that right. are still impressed by well, and, and interested and in the Command & Conquer universe because it's kind of dead. Right. Well, and, and, and that's what – that's kind of – Again, and it ties into what I was saying earlier about like, are the is the best caster talent casting that? No, and it's also probably not the best players, right? And, and that's something that you see across the board, even in traditional sports. Like, I'm a pretty big fan of the UFC in the last I don't know seven years, probably. And the UFC has Ultimate Fighting. To be clear, for anyone that doesn't know what I'm talking about, but it has some good athletes, of course, and they're professional fighters. But at the same time, like, if you're a really standout athlete who has a great chance of making it in any professional sport, you don't pick fighting, right? right. Like, LeBron James was never going to, or Michael Jordan, or mm. Tom Brady, or Joe Mon, they were never going to be prize fighters. Because that's not where, the, that it's not the best gig, so that's not where the top athletic talent right. goes. So I don't know. It's just I I don't even know where I'm going with the point, other than it constant constantly interests me. The notion of like you're seeing the best of the best at a given activity, except are you really? Because does that activity draw the best of the best? Yeah, no, for sure. You know what I mean? And, and I think that like it's kind of a shame that it, it was like ahead of its time in a lot of places because I think that if if specifically Westwood wanted mm-hmm. to make a Command and Conquer sequel with a target towards longevity in the esports community, they could look to StarCraft and take what StarCraft is missing and improve upon it. Where StarCraft took, like, hey, we need more tools for casters. And not all those tools existed at launch, right? Like, they've had UI overhauls, and there's multiple UIs that you can now install and play a game in that will show up in the replay and whatever. And I think that that type of support would exist for, like, if you had that support for CNC, it would just be easier to become a caster. Like, mm. I can't cast a game great of StarCraft, but if I spent the time to kind of learn the tools, I could be better than, I could improve, at least have room to improve. Right. Whereas to try to learn how to improve casting of something like CNC, where you're just blind, you just have a spectator cam. You've got to try to watch everything all the time. You don't know if something interesting is about to happen. If you're in StarCraft and you're looking at the, the Terran base and the Protoss builds a unit out of, or a Dark Shrine, that's a change that you can see while you're looking at the other base and go, oh, something's about to happen. Let's take a look. You know, and you go over there and oh, it's Dark Templars. How does this and talk about it? Whereas in Command Conquer, you don't get to see that. That you go to one base and you're like, Oh, oh, they have a they have a dark shrine over here now. Oh, they're gonna make cloaked units. Like, 
but you didn't see that happen. It's already been out, and the cloak units are halfway across the map because they have a tech center up or whatever. You know, it's well, like, you also don't have a units tab to just say, "Oh, there's now ten dark." Templars. Exactly, and so I, th- you know, I think having access to those tools would change things. And long and short of it is, I just wish that Westwood could get bought back out of EA's hands and become Westwood again and make a good Command and Conquer game. <laughs> I didn't know that that could happen, but the the only example I know of that happening is um, Bungie. Yep. Bought the way back out of Activision. Yep. Which I was really surprised that that could happen. And supposedly it was amicable. It wasn't mm-hmm. like Activision was like screaming down their throats. And no, you're like, all oh, fired. You're... Yeah, it which was just didn't like... happen. It, sure, and well, and has yeah. like I mean that's the guys who make Titanfall is Respawn Entertainment, which is a hilarious name because they're the guys that made Call of Duty Modern Warfare right. two and one, and they had a big dispute with Activision and they got let go. So then they went and started a new studio. Well, and then there's like the <laughs> times when uh, I, the guy was behind the Neverhood tried to buy their IP back and couldn't, and spun off their own game through a Kickstarter. Uh, the people behind, I believe, Commander Keen wanted to buy their rights back. And it wasn't until they wanted to buy them back that EA or whomever owns them. I don't remember. I think, actually I think it is EA. It's just like, oh, let's make a terrible mobile game version of this. It's popular again. Oh, and it's yeah. like the reason that they wanted their rights back is not to make money, but to be faithful to the series. And like, I don't know. There's a lot of corporate activity that makes me grumble in there. but Or if it could just... <laughs> if rights expired like patents did and we just would have global access rights to, you know, the, the Metroid and command and conquer franchises, then we could have games for those again. And maybe F zero too. That'd be nice to see a new F zero game, but wow. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, yeah, I don't know. It's all, um, when it comes to the games industry stuff like that, it's all, it's all very interesting because like when they sold the rights, they wanted that money then, you know right. what I mean? So it's not like they were tricked into selling yeah. the rights. They chose to, uh, and maybe they had to because of financial hardship, but that's ultimately still they still chose to do it. Yeah. Right. Um, but I, I, I totally agree. I mean, the, the MMO that is so near and dear to me is dark age of Camelot. Well, it was made by a co- company called mythic entertainment. Well, Mythic Entertainment got bought by EA right. and then merged into BioWare. And the studio that that was formed, I mean, I don't think BioWare's gone, but the studio that Mythic turned into under right. BioWare is gone. Um, so I'll never see another Dark Age. Now, yes, I know there is a game called Camelot Unchained that's currently still in alpha or something. That some of the original talent from right. Dark Age that is now making it, but it's not just that studio doesn't get to say, Hey, we're going to take all of our resources from then and put them into now right? because they've been vacuumed up by EA. So I, 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 I don't mean to be unsympathetic. No, 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 no. I get it. I get it. it. And, and there's, well. there's a lot of places where that, you know, a sister game comes out that is good or is, has some of the original talent or whatever. And, and there's also places where the, the buying and selling, I mean, that's like Activision Blizzard was a super scary merger and some could say that Blizzard has changed under Activision, and some could say they're holding fast or trying to get back to their roots and still have a lot of independence. Right. I guess it depends on what side of the industry you're on, if you're a programmer or if you're in the industry or if you're on the outside or just a gamer. You know, it's it's going to be different for everybody's view. But 
there's yeah. there's places where that's happened and it hasn't had as huge of an impact um but it's still there's a potential i blizzard's one terrible like if blizzard put out just a flop like then what would activision's view be you know I mean, I think they kind of did that with Heroes of the Storm. I mean, to call it a flop probably isn't fair, but uh, they don't they don't support yeah. esports and yeah. Right. I mean, it didn't it didn't end up. I thought that they were going to topple League of Legends and Dota because that's what Blizzard does yeah. with everything else. Like, hey, we're going to enter that genre, and now we dominate that. Yeah, genre. just Magic on the computer. That's Hearthstone, and that's us now. And Magic can't Correct. compete. You just just go back to selling cardboard. Well, and, and Magic even has an online version now that's supposedly been a few good. different ones, and they still yeah. But yeah, in the end, Hearthstone has that stranglehold. Um, they're kind of like they're kind of like Nintendo or Disney, where they have a way of like, regardless of what the IP is, they have a way of building in some charm to it that just appeals to massive amounts of people and and shortcomings are overlooked because well, i think I, I think it just speaks to like that i'm glad that that charm hasn't gone away or gone away when they got bought up because i it's like i felt yeah. like westwood had a very unique way of doing things like we had talked uh, for anybody that's that's not familiar hasn't played compare downloading a steam game right now and and installing it and everything up to launching the game go go find the youtube video it's like a minute and a half long and sit through it's about the 30 second mark where things really kick in watch the installation video to command and conquer because it's interactive it brings you into the story it sets the game up and it builds your anxiety before the game launches and it is an incredible piece of like steam just has the little tiny square box that says downloading initializing and then a button appears that view updates or play game and you play the game. Then you launch the first production screen and title logos and whatever come up. The command and conquer installation, the original one is fully voiced is draws you in is stylized is graphical and has pieces of storyline. Like it is actually installing the command unit that you get access to on your command computer to make you the commander. Like mm-hmm. it's that it, it so it brings you into the lore and shows newspaper clippings of stuff in the background and it, it brings you into the game before you even get to click any before it even says the Westwood Studios logo, you know, like before the splash screen. It, it's just something that like it's a shame that that talent didn't get to progress in the same way. Right, you know, because right. they had a lot going for them too, and I, I, I want to see more of that. Any, if you're developing a game, go look at the installation video and take a couple keynotes because let's bring back installing a game is fun again. Yeah, I think. I mean, the thing is, though, is just there's no wizard anymore like that for any it's game, true. right? Like it's all Steam Wizard. You don't click next on anything. Yep. I mean, you click next once to start the download, and it's all fully automated, and that's true on good old games that's, that's true, true on, you know now good old games you can get drm free copies that i assume would give you an installer yeah because you have to be able to install it without the internet um so maybe you could find something like well actually you could you could actually probably go buy what version of command and conquer is I think this it's it has? just the first one i mean i think it's you all of them but I, I know it's the first one you could go buy it on good old yeah, games that's true. <laughs> 
download the installer and probably see it right yep. um but yeah no i think that that's that's that is uh the variety of rts games it, it you know it, it's a it's sadly it's a dying genre mm-hmm. uh, and the moba has kind of come in and and taken a lot of i think what would be the rts market share yeah. um which is is too bad and i i hope that there's a return to form at some point um i know starcraft 2 is still going strong yeah they're having more events this year than they have in recent years. They have kind of changed hands crazy. though. It's being handled differently, but it guarantees three years of pro scene left at least, at least Correct. three more years of Starcraft two pro scene, which is awesome. that I'm happy for it. Well, it's crazy too, because I remember when Starcraft two came out, I could not believe that people still played brood war. Right. Like I, couldn't, I was shocked, but that's only, we're only a couple years away from it being the same amount of time between mm-hmm. brood war and two and two and nothing. So, right. um, and honestly, when it comes to StarCraft three, I, I don't actually know what they would do. I mean, the jump from Brood War to two was humongous, right. not just in graphics, but just in capacity for what the PC can do. Right. right. But that kind of jump hasn't happened again in the last well, and 10 it's, years. It's strange because we've already seen that like Supreme Commander tried to do it. They tried to make that jump of the infinite map and dual screen any any way you want. Two different zooms on two different screens. Infinite right. army cap, giant maps, complex unit commands, you know, all kinds of stuff. And they got nowhere. Right. So it, it's, it's a real question it. of what do you do to RTSs to change them? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. Um, I thought that Relic Entertainment's attempt was with the dawn of war yeah, series i think that that had some some meat behind it yeah well because it took away resources from being at the base and made it so resources are now places on the map they're hot spots so it creates natural conflict areas um i thought that the idea of you having squads instead of just individual soldiers was interesting because it allowed for like reinforcing the squad right. kind of like hit points but uh, a little different and then all the cover mechanics like that was all interesting yeah and those games are popular, but still never came anywhere close to StarCraft. Right. right as far as the pro scenes. Um, so I am jumping back a little bit. Um, so I'll, I'll, I'll probably leave you with this. Um, and that is the um, a suggestion I would have, which I have not always followed myself. And you didn't ask me for one. So this is just unsolicited. <laughs> but on the multiplayer server that you're on, I would I would suggest that you strongly consider joining up with someone, and if not this server, then maybe the next. Yeah, simply because the the in the in those kind of games, especially the 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 difference in how the game feels to play when you're a part of a larger group right. versus a solo duo is very different. Some of it too that I, I haven't gotten into as much cuz I mean I don't want to just complain. It's been a great experience. Obviously I've put oh. in again like 100 hours a week whatever. Um <laughs> but send canned goods to Brett Lindley. Yeah, that right. <laughs> but um it's also having to deal with like so it's it's a fairly popular server. It's got between 30 and 50 people i think the cap is 48 but 30 and 50 people on it at any given time and more people in the chats and in the various clans and stuff well there are complications like 
joining with a, a well-established clan, they want you to use their vehicles, their stuff, their whatever. You have to obey their rules and dig in their areas and don't start wars without everybody being involved. And, and it's all understandable, and that's agreeable. That's fine. I don't want to lead the clan, but I want to use my stuff, you know. On top of that, even just finding, like, a solo person or whatever, uh, I did find a solo person that I would love to play with, but they're in Australia. And they, we have maybe, like, an hour of crossover between us, you know? And, like, if not them, then I've got, okay, well, there are some, a couple of what I can only assume are teenagers slash young adults, maybe 18 to 20 years old, that are just playing the game, picking it up for the first time, and like, hey, teach me all the rules. Like, do you just want to show me everything? Like, how does this work? Like, I don't, I'm having to experience all of this. I'm having to, like, do I hang out in the chat and give these people a chance, or do I go to an empty faction room and play by myself so that I don't have to hear whiny teenagers? Like, or drunk Scottish people, or what i'm i'm selective in the people that i want to hang out with so it can be really hard to find like i want to find another person that i can hang out with that plays as much as i would do that's willing to participate in the way that i find agreeable isn't going to grief my base isn't going to start a war with a giant faction that's going to get us nuked like that's a, it's a lot to find it is so i i am kind of going solo this time mostly just to see who else is on the server who else might I agree with? You know, I don't know any of these factions. I'm learning who are the bully factions, who are the helpful factions, who are the nice people, who are the irritating, you know? So like trying to find all of that out. If I stick with it to the next iteration by next month, who knows? Maybe I get a spend some time in creative and flesh out my stuff more. I have a better idea of what I need now. And uh, then you know, jump in and, and maybe get into a faction with one or two people or a smaller group or something and see what I can do with that. So, yeah, it's it's been on my mind, and it's, it is good advice. It, it's just also, like, getting to that point. I didn't want to jump off and, and just jump there because I didn't – I would have joined up with an angry butthole faction, and I don't want to be a part of that. <laughs> right, right. No, I, I totally get it. Uh, and like I said, I have not always been the best at, at joining that in that way as well but um you know i played arc a lot either solo or with one other person and the company that makes arc put out a new game a, a little over a year ago called atlas um which is actually not very good because unfortunately it's developed by the same people who develop arc so there's <laughs> endless problems and it, things that are just super frustrating anyway when I played Atlas, though, I joined with another buddy who, like, his brother was playing, and then they had a group of friends. So there was probably, like, ten of us. Oh, nice. And it was the first time that I'd been in a group that big. And, and even though Atlas is not ARC, it plays pretty much identically as far as resource gathering and building and that stuff. Right. And it was kind of neat to, to, to be able to have access to stuff that I didn't have to grind right. every bit of it to make it. So, like... I log out and we've got a small base. And then the next day when I log in, that base is larger and has a big wall around it. Right. And now we've got crafting stations and it's like, great. I didn't have to spend the 10 hours by myself yeah. to get this set up. You know, there's also, so I mean, I've already witnessed multiple bits of faction drama. 
mm-hmm. where because I was in just like a community room in the voice chat, and there were two people from one faction that are leaving because of leaders and and infighting and whatever. Anytime you get more than three people into a place, somebody is going to sabotage the rest of them. Do they all have British accents? No, no, no. I mean, there's people uh-huh. from all all over. I mean, there's. I think the server is in the UK. There's a fair number of Australians that play. There's, you know, some Scottish and Irish. There's a, a decent number of what I would assume are Americans, you know, kind of central Midwest type people or East Coast or West Coast or whatever. Um, and the ages are all over the map. And the play skills and, and styles are all over the map. Because the game has been out for a long time, but it's only within the last few months that they hit their full access launch, which took them from 2,000 players to 20,000. So there's, right. I mean, there was half a dozen people that came into the server that just bought the game. Oh, wow. And they're like, hey, I've been watching the videos on YouTube. I bought it. I want to play. I want to join the server. Can you teach me how to play? It's like, this is a lot more than just a, you pick, this is not Call of Duty. You're not going to pick it up. I mean, I can't teach you everything. <laughs> like, I can't show you the controller and just be like, here's the button layout. That should be all the information you need. Right. Like, this is a keyboard and mouse game and every keyboard key is assigned to something. And it's there's physics, so I, I need to give you a, a bachelor's degree in that. But it's video game physics, so it works in its own way. And like, <laughs> and I actually don't care about helping I'm, you. That you're much, not paying so... me college teacher wages. So. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> that is fair. All right. Well, that's going to be all for our episode today. Please join the discussion by tweeting your thoughts to us at puys pod on Twitter. We'd love to discuss your interesting ideas on a future episode. Uh, we've also started streaming on on Twitch on occasion, uh, which we announce on Twitter. So again, follow us at P-U-Y-S pod. Uh, like I said, either join the conversation or come hang out with us while we stream. If you liked the episode, please rate, star, thumbs up, and review wherever you're listening. It really does help us out. It helps the show become more discoverable. And if you'd like to check out more of my Walker's insights uh, on really everything in life not related to gaming, uh, then I invite you to check out my other podcast, The Walk Show, which is available everywhere podcasts are found. Thanks for listening and get out there and pick up your sticks.